it is an honor to be a part of this. And uh, it's a joy to be with uh, Brother Hershon and Brother Gore. Amen. God bless them in the name of the Lord. Amen. Okay, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, 7.06. I'm going to talk to you all about these sessions in the morning and having me speak at them. Let's go to the book of Numbers, chapter 14. And I want to move along quickly here. Numbers, chapter 14. Man, what a great meeting this has been. I'm very privileged and honored to uh, participate in a lot of meetings and stuff. But this is just as anointed and impacting as any that I know of. And so, what a great, great time. Amen. Numbers chapter 14, verse number 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles. Now see what he said. Because all those men which have seen my glory. And my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times that have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. Verse 31, but your little ones, which you said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. Amen. I want to talk to you today about that the statement that, it, that God makes to Moses. My glory shall fill all the earth. Amen. My glory shall fill all the earth. Father, I really do thank you for the opportunity to stand in the pulpit today and to minister. Thank you for this great church, the leadership. I ask that a special blessing come upon them in the name of Jesus. Help me today, God, to speak your word with clarity of mind and thought. I ask it in Jesus' name and confirm your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody said amen. amen. Praise God. You may be seated. God bless you. Uh, quickly, I want to um, give you a little context. Of course, Moses is trying to lead the children of Israel into the land of promise. The spies have been sent in. They've come out, and uh, the Bible says that ten of them gave an evil report. Of course, Joshua and Caleb, isn't it amazing? You, you know Joshua and Caleb's name, but I don't think there's anybody here that knows the name of the other ten spies. I mean, who cares? Amen. And uh, maybe we should, but he just... Um, Evil report and through the night, Joshua and Caleb, let us go up at once. We are well able to take the land. And these guys just, I mean, Israel's in a really a predicament. The Bible calls it the day of provocation where they provoke God. And we're warned in the book of Hebrews not to do the same. And so the writer of Hebrews said they would not enter in because of their unbelief. So we are warned that when God gives us a promise that by faith we enter in. And if we don't, 
after hearing the word of God, we can provoke God. You know, you can make God a little upset. I know he's never been upset with you, but I've had a few times uh, he not only got upset, he corrected. And he corrects because he loves us. And so they, uh, they, they, you know, and so God just said, okay, that's it. I, I'm, I'm sick of this. Uh, <clears throat> just step aside, Moses. I'm going to take care of this little problem. And, uh, you know, pastoring in the Bay Area, you, know, you learn you have to be careful some of these stories because just their mindset, you know. Well, if he's a God of love, then why would he threaten Moses to kill all these people? Well, he's sovereign. And their unbelief has displeased him. These are the people that have seen, as he said, they've seen all my miracles and my glory in Egypt and in the wilderness. So it's not like I just, you know... I don't get provoked for no reason, but these people should have had faith to enter into the land, but they didn't. And so, <clears throat> so God said, just, I, I'm going to take care of this. I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of wipe them out and I'll raise you up as a great nation. And, uh, uh, so Moses said, now, Lord, if you kill, it's in there. This is the way he says it. Verse 15. If you kill these people as one man, what do you think the nations are going to say? They're going to say, you have the power to bring them out, to bring them through, but you didn't have the power to bring them in. And so, you know, man, this story intrigues me. I mean, that Moses, you know, Abraham, those guys have that kind of influence with God. Let's think about this, God. I mean, I've tried to tell him that a couple of times. He said, I don't need you thinking anything. I, I got it all figured out, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, so he, he, okay. All right, Moses, I heard you. And I'm, this is our text, that I have pardoned according to thy word. But I tell you what I'm going to do. First of all, as truly as I live, that's a pretty good truly. My, my glory shall fill all the earth. And he said, because all those men which have seen my glory. Now notice he's tying it together. They've seen my glory and my miracles. They've seen it in Egypt. They've seen it in the wilderness. But now they've tempted me these ten times. And have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. 31 again. They said. The people said. Well you know if we go into that land. Our, our little ones. Our feeble ones. The next generation. They'll be prey to these Canaanites. And so. You know it's amazing. I, I'll, give you, I'll give you another little insight to these people is. After God told them, you're not going in, they said, okay, we're ready to go in. So it's a bigger issue with whatever God said, we're going to do the opposite. Welcome to 2020. And so, you know, that's just, and so, you know, well, you know, the rest of that, well, they went on up to try to enter the land, this chapter. And it was a it was a horrible thing for them to do. I mean, the enemy just wiped a lot of them out, and then it begins their 
journeying, their wilderness journey, and my nephew, which I was, now don't tell him I said this, okay? But I was extremely proud of him the other day. I'm sent into his life to keep him humble. My responsibility to the family is to keep his dad and Dylan humble. And I, I do a really good job with that too, amen. <laughs> but, you know, these, now these little ones that they said, what they're basically saying is, is our children and offspring cannot survive among these Canaanites. They'll fall prey to them. They can't live in this culture and survive. And so God said, okay, well, here's the deal. You are not going to live there, but they will. And so uh, it's an amazing deal. You know, I've looked at the Canaanites. I've looked at the land, the land of promise. That, to me, is very intriguing. Abraham is called out of the earth, Chaldees. He, he comes. God said, I'm going to show you a land. The Bible says, then the Canaanite was then in the land of Canaan. And he builds an altar. That's, that's the lessons that we learn from Abraham, how to build altars. And so uh, he builds this altar. God meets with him there. Covenants are being established. Promises are being established. And one of those is... I want you to walk the length and the breadth of this land. And so wherever your feet touch, and if you'll notice, uh, there are strategic places that Abraham would build an altar because in that time an altar was not just a place of sacrifice, it was also a place of declaration. That whoever I'm worshiping here, this basically belongs to him now. And so Abraham, he goes strategically through the land, God made him a promise. But here's what's amazing to me that we kind of overlook is what was what really were the Canaanites now I don't have my notes with me which I normally don't but <laughs> but you know there's all kinds of what is it the pa- par- parasites parasites termites all these ites over there and <laughs> there's seven of them that are listed with Abraham and then I think there's eight when Joshua and them went into the land so it gives all this deal so my first deal is is where did these people come from who are these Canaanites who are these different tribes or people nations in the land of Canaan and so then I found out that these uh, were a lot of the descendants of which was it Ham that was cursed of the Lord for looking on his father's nakedness is that right well, the deal is, is now you'll have to straighten this out and, and your mother will have to counsel a lot of people to get them fixed after what I'm about to say. But it wasn't that he just seen his dad without any clothes on. A lot of commentaries lend toward the fact that there was an act of perversion. And so his father's drunk and passed out. So there's a people that God uses. Amen. <laughs> He's drunk to pass out. I mean, and so his son goes in and so they'll, well, it's the descendants of Ham that ends up over in this land. So all those seven or eight names that are mentioned, most of those are the descendants of Ham. Therefore, you begin to realize why there's so much perversion and idolatry in the land. 
And this is the land that God told them, that's your promised land. What? There's all kinds of crazy stuff in that land, and that's our promised land. Mm -hmm, That's exactly right. You you sure you got the right address for us, God? I mean, you know, all this stuff, all this idolatry, and I mean, study it out, the gods they worshipped and their rituals, and it's just all fleshly and demonic and, and all this stuff. So, but that was their land of promise. And so God tells Abraham, go on in it. I'm going to give it to you. Your seed will go into captivity for, what, 400 years. They'll come out. So, see, this is why God got provoked with them because God had already told them. Generations before, he'd already told them through Abraham. This is going to happen. You're going to come out, and you're going to come back to this land, and you'll occupy this land. Is everybody okay? Amen. All right. Now, uh, this, this is the situation. So this is the land that they're to go into. Now you begin to see why that those people said, our children will fall prey. You really want us to go into that land with all of that crazy stuff going on and expect that our children can survive. They'll fall prey to this. And so God said, yeah, I, I expect you to go in. It's your promised land. Now, the reason why God gave this message to me is because I was having a little struggle. Now, I know you've never had any struggles between you and God, but I've had a few. And uh, God, I don't know why you called me to California. Especially... San Francisco. I mean, you ought to see the folks we produce out of there. <laughs> Not going to mention no names. <laughs> Anyhow, I just, you know, what? Let me just quickly. I was pastoring in Oakmobile, Oklahoma. Population 17,800. 25 miles south of Tulsa. So I had a pretty good life going on. I preached out 40-something weeks a year, pastoring the church, drive to the Tulsa airport. I mean, things were really, it was comfortable. You know, I mean, but we was in a revival and... God spoke to me as the, as, as the young man was preaching. You're through. Now, I, I'm nothing like the Myers. I don't calculate anything. I, I don't sit down and try to, okay, what's the best path for me to go down on over here? Okay, God, you told me I'm going to resign. So as soon as he's through preaching, I'll, I'm going to resign. Don't know where I'm going. Don't know what I'm going to do. But okay, you said resign. I'm through. I'm through. No exit strategy at all. Just going to take, I hope that's a parachute and just jump off the plane. Might be a backpack. I'm not sure. But I'm just, just going to jump off the, you know, out of the plane. Oh, you skydivers. What's, you're tempting the Lord, I tell you right now. And so, so, you know, but... A lady come up on the platform, 
godly lady come up and knelt a few feet in front of me and begins to give a message in tongues. And I knew the interpretation. I knew it in the spirit. It was God speaking directly to me. You are through, but I'm going to ask you to stay and dig around this tree one more year. But in one year, you'll leave. So that was a miserable year. Horrible year. Uh, our music director time, James Williams, I said, every service, James, I want you to sing. Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. He said, Bishop, we've sang that song so much. I know James, but I pay you, so I want you to sing that song. (laughs) And so, you know, so I have this crazy dream, and in the dream, I'm, I'm... Back to the lapel mic. I, I, I did this in the dream and I went, I'm through, where to from here, God? And in the dream, a voice said, look to the San Bruno Mountain. And so I turned in the dream to my right and there's a mountain there, San Bruno Mountain. And then it was like it focused in on the top of it and there's a man and he cupped his hands and he yells out, San Francisco. Paul, I'm right up there with you, bless God. You got your Macedonia call. I got my San Francisco call. So the next morning at breakfast, I said, Sister Morgan, you may not believe what I'm about to tell you. I said, but I think we were going to end up in San Francisco. Of course, if you just know, I said, okay, that's the will of God, we'll go. I got two teenage daughters and a little four-year-old boy. My concern then was, well, first of all, I said, I don't know if it's a word from God, if there's a San Bruno Mountain. And sure enough, I looked it up, there's a San Bruno Mountain. I live on the side of the San Bruno Mountain right now. And so, okay, all right, this may really be from God instead of pizza or something, I don't know. And so, uh, but my concern was two concerns. Number one, I have children. And I'm about to take my kids into Sodom and Gomorrah. Seriously. And then number two, God, I know you don't know this, so I need to inform you. It's expensive to live there. At the time, at the time, San Francisco was the number two most expensive place. Manhattan was number one at the time. We passed Manhattan a long time ago. Most expensive city in America to live. And so... You know, well, old sister Chanel, I called her and I told her and I said, look, uh, here's the deal. Uh, I've got some concerns. She said, I know those concerns. I said, okay. She said, you're worried about your children. I said, I am. She said, the Lord said, go, they'll be okay. And what is the second one? Well, if you know, tell me. I said, well, you know, it's the most expensive city in the world, or in the second most expensive city in the nation to live. She said, mm-hmm, and? I said, I, I told you, second. She said, oh, I know. She said, matter of fact, the Lord showed me a little vision. When you said that, he broke out in a sweat wondering how he would take care of you. <laughs> so you mean you can trust God for $3, but you can't $3 million? I'm still I'm still waiting on that three million deal. I can tell you that right now. And so let me hasten. So 
That's the land that God called me to. Now, I've been there a while, and everything's going crazy. You know, people call it Cali crazy for a reason. Everything's kind of going crazy. I'm looking around, all the stuff's going on. And, and my, why did you... And finally, through this, when God gave it to me, he said, I know everything that's in this state. I know everything that's in this county. I know everything that's in this city. I know that SF Berkeley has given the nation a lot of gifts. Hippie movement. But that's your promised land. That's your promised land. That's the land I called you to. (laughs) The Canaanites. Oh, like I didn't know they were there. This is the land I called you to. And when God showed this to me, he said, just as I spoke to Moses, my glory shall fill all the earth. Oh, okay. Wow. All the earth? Yeah. Including the Bay Area of California? All the earth. Seriously. Mm Mm-hmm. See, you're afraid that your new converts, your children and them, cannot survive in the cultures that surround them. But see, you're not understanding why I chose that promised land. Okay, well, help me out here. Why is it so strategic for that little strip of land over there? I told him last night, I had a businessman tell me one time, and he, not, nothing, he didn't know anything, anything about Christianity. He just said, I don't get it. You know, America's always wanting to help Israel. We, we, we could sell it. We got a bunch of land over in West Texas that, I mean, nobody's there. And we could just, you know, just move everybody over there and give Israel all that. And then, you know, we'd stop all that fighting over there. I said, sir, you don't understand. It's about a covenant. It was a covenant that God made to Abraham and said, into your seed forever. And I said, so the deal is, is when they start talking about giving up the land, dividing the land, Israel losing more land, what they're doing is they're trying to make God a liar. I hate to tell you, God don't lie. <laughs> well, I hate to tell you, I'm glad to tell you, God doesn't lie. And so I, I explain all this. And so, but it just, I never understood why was it so much about that particular piece of property that mattered to God so much. So that was my next question when God was kind of helping me understand this. Well, why that? And then uh, it, it come to me. I, I remember the spot in the office praying and it was just like the Lord said, you need to study, you, you need to study the trade routes. The what? The trade routes. T-R-A-D-E. Trade routes. Oh, okay. So then I started studying the trade routes and I found out that the major trade routes that linked Europe to Africa and then linked Europe down through the northern part and then off through through there over into the Ur of Chaldees, Iran, those were the major trade routes and they both, they get certain highways, I think one was the King's Highway, certain highways that come down through there. And so basically, I strategically placed my people 
where the whole world would have to pass by and see what one God, covenant people, look like, act like, talk like. I'm even going to build a temple for my glory. My name is going to dwell there. And when all these people pass through here with all their multiplicity of gods and statues and idols, they're going to walk by because I have strategically placed you where I have placed you to show the world what covenant people really are. And oh, hey, by the way, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told Moses and them. You've seen my glory. You've seen my glory when you're passing Oklahoma. You've seen my glory when you were in transition. You've seen my glory every place that I've put you. So you don't think my glory is going to be here in California and in the Bay Area. My glory will fill all the earth. Why? Because I've placed you here. I don't know if this is making sense or not. I've placed you here. So you know what? We get to looking around and it's not just it's not just California. You get to looking around and all the stuff and all. You know what what really is God's placement of you here in where am I at? Palm Bay and Palm Bay, Florida. I mean, did God just say, Well, they need another church? I mean, on the way over here, I don't know how many churches we passed. You know, so if it's just that God said, Okay, we just need another place with a steeple on top of it, then why compete? That's what I don't understand about folks wanting to start looking like these other churches, acting like these other churches, becoming like these other churches. If you're going to do that, why even have a church? They got, they already got all that. Why? Why would you want to? And I hate to say, it, why would you want to enter into that arena and try to compete? I told our group here a while back, I said, guys, I get it. I understand it. But my Lord, you got Francis Chan right here in San Francisco. You got all these major movements that are being established here. I said, so why would I want to make us like that? They got more money. (laughs) They got bigger budgets. So what and why did God place us where he placed us? I'll tell you why. He said, I want people to be able in your city to see what a one God covenant person really looks like. I want them to see what the temple looks like. I want them to see my glory is what I want them to see. So you know what? When God called this church into existence, it wasn't just we're going to build another church. What God was saying is, is my glory is going to fill Palm Bay. And a part of my glory, which means I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to sustain you. Mm. His glory is going to fill all the earth. So I don't care where you're at. You know, years ago, he preached a message called God's Church in Babylon. I was complaining to him, oh, Moby, you know, my God, man, we got all kinds of crazy problems here and internal problems. I had two church boards when I got there. They were fighting each other on who was going to control the church. And I just learned the best place to be is just kind of refereeing. <laughs> Over in this corner. <laughs> and I mean, it was just all, I could write a book on my first year there and my first five years there. Literally, you would not believe the stories. I want to begin to tell you. It was just crazy. And I was like, God, you know, oh, Moby, I mean, we got more medicine being practiced practice here is the Crete nation capital and I mean it's a bunch of witchcraft and spiritualism it's eat up with drug addiction I mean you know God this is a horrible place and I was reading the Bible on Saturday night trying to get ready for Sunday 
you know, all right, it's Saturday night. I think I better study. And so, so and I was reading down through there and I read over in, in Peter's epistle where he says, and the church which is at Babylon saluteth you and so doth Marcus my son. And I thought saluteth and salutation, salutations meant all as well. And it was sitting there reading that. And I'm like, wow. And God said, if I can build a church in Babylon, why can't I build one here? So I got to study now, found out Peter took a little missionary journey over to Babylon and established and built a church over there. And so I was complaining about Oak Mogie. Some of you can't even say it. Oak Mogie. And I, I was complaining about it. And then I, well, you know, Peter went over there and built a church over there. So what's your complaint? So the problem is sometimes if we're not careful, we see all this crazy stuff that's going on in the world. Well, what did you expect? It was predicted in the scripture. And then we get in a panic like, oh my God, you know, what are we going to do? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We are going to represent the one God and we're going to represent him very well because we are covenant people. God never, ex- now just, just hear me. God never expected us to act like them, look like them, talk like them, be like them. He said, now, if you're going to go into the land of Canaan, which is what he warned them about, if you get over there and you falter their practices, I'll deal with you then. And every time Israel did, God did deal with them. I didn't send you over there for you to become like them. I sent you over there so they could become like I feel a little help in the Holy Ghost here right now. Now, I, I chose this today because of the service and, and all this stuff. So, what is God's glory? What really is God's glory? I spent probably 18 months on a journey studying glory and looking at it from the scripture. And I don't remember who, one of the young men, might have been Chris Green, was talking about the glory. No, brother, what's his name? The priest or? Baptiste. Okay, I had part of it right, I mean. <laughs> and he was talking about the glory. What is the glory? Just a couple weeks ago, I did a little quick series on uh, the kingdom, the power, and the glory. We understand power. Now, most Pentecostals don't understand kingdom. You understand church, but you don't understand kingdom. The church is the introduction to the kingdom. The church is the building that sits in the kingdom. The kingdom is the king's domain. It means I rule here and Satan has absolutely no jurisdiction here. But the glory. I'm, I'm, I'm hastening on to a close. But the glory. The glory. You know, I looked up all the words for it and stuff and all. And then finally in the 14th verse of John 1, it dawned on me. It dawned on me. And the word was made flesh. And we beheld his glory. So that moment, it just got clear for me. Wherever the word is fleshed out, that is my glory. So wherever people are fleshing out my word, I'm revealing my glory. 
And so all of us are on this glory road. And there's levels of glory. We go from glory to glory. And the Greek would say, and to glory. And to glory don't mean just one glory to the last. It just means it's a progressive thing. So every time you're reading in the Word of God and God shows you something and you start living in obedience to the Word of God, your actions, your life is revealing God's glory. I can prove that to you in Romans chapter 1. He makes known His glory by the things that are revealed. Mm. So God says, so what is the purpose of East Wind Pentecostal Church? It is for the city to see my glory. It's going to see people that in spite of culture and all the theories that are going on and the crazy stuff that's going on, it's going to see people that are going to live as covenant people in obedience to my word. That's not the only thing about glory. I close with this. That's not. Glory is also known for the king's benevolence. If you want to see a king's glory, just look at the people and how benevolent he was with them. Glory also means intrinsic wealth. Glorious, as he said the other day, it's weighty. You know, a lot of churches have the Spirit of God, but they don't have the glory of God. The Spirit of God can show up in a bar. But the glory is a different story. So our churches have to ask the question, do we want to be even just a word church or a spirit church? Or do we want to be a church known for the glory of God? Because wherever God fulfills and people are fulfilling the word of God and it's being fleshed out, that's God's manifested glory. So when the people in this city see the blessing of God on your life, it's not because you're more smarter than anybody else or whatever. It's God just saying, I'm going to reveal my glory through you. Because you're covenant people. And you can't even explain sometimes the blessing of God in your life. The other one should have got the raise. The other one should have got the promotion. The other one should have got the contract. But you weren't even as qualified as the other ones were. And God said, no, I'm going to show you how I take care of my covenant people right here. Watch this right here. I'm going to show you how. Because I'm going to show my glory through them. Why wouldn't you want to live in obedience to the word of God? All right, according to the clock, I have four minutes. I'm going to take advantage of my four minutes later. Glory. Why is the blessing of God on this church so much? Obedience. Obedience. Moses comes in off the mountain three times. He gives them some things from the law. And three times the people say, we will hearken and obey. And the next thing you know, Moses and the 70 elders are looking into the heavens. And they see the throne of God and the glory of God. Why? Because the people said, we will obey. Covenant people. But here's the clincher. You ready for it? And my God shall supply all your not just financial all your according to his riches in 
I had the glory and the power to bring you out of Egypt. I have the glory and the power to get you through your journey maturing. There's three levels of maturity in the church. You ready for it? There's infants, there's sons, and there's fathers. That's John's teaching. I write unto you, little children, infants, sin not. But if you do, you got an advocate. I write unto you, young men, you should be overcoming some things. You're not in kindergarten and you're not having your diaper changed. You should be overcoming some stuff. I write unto you, fathers, you've known him from the beginning. You ought to be maturing. You ought to be processing. You ought to be procreating. You ought to be leading him. That's the three levels. you got three things coming out. You've got Egypt, you've got the wilderness, and you've got the promised land. The promised land is not heaven. I hate to say there's no giants in heaven, there's no wall cities in heaven, there's no battles in heaven. Heaven is the place of spiritual maturity, which is epitomized in the book of Ephesians. Pink said that the book of Ephesians is the book of Joshua in the New Testament. That's why in the book of Ephesians, Paul is constantly talking about abundant, exceeding. He's wanting the people to see as you mature and process through this, the place that God wants you to live. But we got a lot of folks that believe God for getting them out of Egypt and even taking them through the little wilderness experience. But do you have enough faith to believe that the same God that supplied your needs coming out of Egypt... And taking you through the wilderness, manna falling, water out of a rock, all the miracles. Don't you think if you can get to spiritual maturity? But a lot of folks said, oh, we can't live over in that place of maturity. Spiritual maturity is a place that we can't live anymore. We're going to stay over here either in Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt and make us some captives go back. Or let's just die here in the wilderness. I got news for you. You can survive over in spiritual maturity. Don't tell me that God never intended for the people of God to mature and for the glory of God that took you out of the world has kept you in this journey is not waiting on you over in the promised land where you're maturing to enjoy the fact that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in it doesn't matter if it's a spiritual need an emotional need, a physical need a financial need or a relational need it doesn't matter to God he said look you had enough faith to believe I could take you out of the world, you got baptized in my name you entered into the covenant waters you're baptized in my name I filled you with the Holy Ghost, I brought you out of Egypt with the cloud in the Red Sea that's what Paul told him, I'm taking you through this, I'm processing you and maturing you through this wilderness journey now I just need you to get on into the land and don't tell me why you can't live in a place of spiritual maturity. I designed that for you. That's your promise. That's your promised land. I want you to get there because my glory is going to fill all the earth. Woo, somebody ought to praise me. I mean, give him a real praise. 